Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you're here today at Foothills, and we're in a series called Desperado. It's an appeal to men who have questions about their lives. Uh, there are a number of men that I know that uh, have kind of, uh, I'd say they're, they're not, you know, where they want to be, but they've figured out the path in life, and they're walking it, they're doing great, uh, they're connected, they're confident, they're courageous. I know a lot of guys that have been talking and walking with God over a long period of time, and so uh, we're not going to be talking to you guys today, and so we hope that uh, this would be an opportunity as maybe a refresher or something that you could use uh, in your ministry to men. What we want to do is we want to talk to guys who are skeptical, guys who are wondering uh, kind of what is really the point of becoming or being a real man? Is masculinity a good thing or a bad thing? Why am I not doing better as a man? It's particularly uh, uh, designed to help people who might uh, be scouring the internet some evening, wondering uh, about their life, and they pick it up and they are able to begin this process of finding some real answers. That's what Desperado is all about. Uh, there was a song by the Eagles called Desperado that kind of captures this ethos of men who are just kind of checking out, going their own way. And last week we kicked it off by kind of showing all the stats about how men are not doing really, really well. Now, I do have to make a correction, and that is this, is that I said that the Eagles came out with this song about 30 years ago. And so afterwards, someone came up to me and said, Pastor, we need to correct you. And I go, what? You're wrong. And they said, that was 50 years ago. That kind of hurts. That kind of hurts. I remember it on the radio. That's why it hurts, right? One of the things we're going to talk about today is men in relationships. Okay, guys, and this is what I want to talk to every one of you men who are confused about this area in your life. Okay? Even though men are generally interested in things, it's your relationships that have the greatest impact on your life. In many ways, your relationships as an adult man will define how you perceive your life, the quality of your life, and where you go in life. Now, one of the things, because we're guys and we tend to be practical, is we want, well, you know, I want 10 steps on how to date a girl and find the one for me. Uh, my marriage isn't where I'd like it to be. I need five steps to have a better marriage. Well, guess what? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And that's part of the problem. One of the things you have to do is, is if you really want to figure out clarity on this issue of your life, what does it be, mean to be a man? How do my relationships really influence me across the board? Whether it be my relationship with God, with uh, my wife, with my kids, with my friends, you know, I have to kind of go upstream. I have to go up to core values that need to be understood and clarified. Uh, in other words, in order for them to not be so confusing. And so we have to basically swim out into the deep water. Last week we talked about Peter. I introduced you to him. And one of the things God, uh, Jesus eventually asked him to do is he says, look, I need you to row out into the deep, right? So we're going to row out into the deep a little bit, okay? Uh, I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of, you know, 10 steps to this or that or the other, because I don't believe that's going to help you. One of the things that I think can really help men is that if you could come to a frame of reference on how to look at these things, you might be able to draw clarity. And once you have clarity, then you can make decisions that have a positive impact in your life. So I need to kind of go way upstream to a super core value, men, that you need to think about. And it's somewhat abstract, but it's critical. And that is this. You have to determine whether you actually believe there is a God or not in this world. Now, a lot, of, a lot of guys say, well, I believe in God, but you don't live as if God is really alive or there, okay? And there's basically just two ways that you come down on this issue. There is a God or there isn't a God. Now, the no God ideology that is propagated by, you know, Richard Hitchens, Dennett, Dawkins, Sam Harris is the most popular. Sam Harris, he's always on uh, the Bill Maher show on HBO, and he writes all these books, and he goes around and speaks all the time. 
Basically, uh, a lot of people who have had problems with religion or they, were, they had issues in their childhood uh, with people of faith or their family was toxic or whatever may be the case, they grow up and they have this real strong ideology that there is no God. Uh, they write about it. They talk about it. And what they do predominantly is they just criticize and deconstruct people of faith. And that's really popular on the internet, right? But the thing about it is if you actually go and read what they write and what they say, you start to scratch your head a little bit. And some of the things that they write and they say is this, is that if there is no God, there is no objective duties or obligations. If there is no God, there's no objective duties or obligations. Think about that for a second. What does that mean? Well, what that means is all morality is relative. This is where the notion of your truth comes from. See, if morality is relative, then ultimately for a guy, I mean, it's this way for females too, but for a guy, the way it works out pragmatically in his life is that life is about me. Okay? Now, if you want to develop your masculine soul, this is a really dangerous place to live. When you live life as a guy purely from the standpoint that all my life is about me, you're cheating yourself. Because everything is relative, guess what? Masculinity and feminine do not actually exist. Because you are, it's called scientific materialism, and that is, is that we live in a material world where the only thing exists is your material body and what you can, you know, experience or prove. But what's really interesting, because there's no masculine or feminine, there's no duties or obligation from the masculine to the feminine, right? And so you have, since you have no obligation or duty to the feminine, then guess what? relationships become irrelevant, right? Relationships are only there as a preference, like pizza or beer, right? It's like, well, you know, I like a good Belgian wheat, you know, maybe an IPA, I don't know. My personal opinion, IPAs are totally overrated, so (laughs) I don't know what the deal is about that. But anyway, This is really important to understand. Your belief about God is critical in your relationships because research shows that relationships for men are absolutely critical in their lives. But the no God theory states that relationships are irrelevant. That is confusing. That is called a logical contradiction. Okay? Now, therefore, if you're a man and you're struggling with making commitments, if you're struggling with uh, keeping your commitments, if you struggle with addictions or distractions in your life, if you're wondering what you do is worth it, if you are questioning that your life makes any difference, if you struggle with a lack of purpose or a lack of ambition or a lack of drive, it's because whether you realize it or not, you've adopted the tenets of this position in your everyday life. Because that's what that position produces in your life. You sow that seed, that's what you reap. Now there's a second option, okay? And the second option is the other side of it. It's a binary choice. There is or isn't a God. There is a God. And if there is a God, there are implications to that. First and foremost, if there is a God, you do have objective morals and duties in your life. An objective moral is this. It doesn't matter what you say or what people think or how they feel about it, some things are morally wrong no matter what. Always wrong. So the second implication is if there is a God, you're a spiritual being as a guy, right? And if you're a spiritual being as a guy, there is more to masculinity than simply what makes you happy in the moment. There, there's something bigger, right? There is something uh, 
external from you, a duty you might have. And the other thing that this, uh, that this position says is that there is a masculine and a feminine. And if I'm masculine, then I have moral obligations, moral duties that are outside of me, not only to myself, but to the feminine as well. Well, and you see what happens there is that males and females in the first position exist only to use each other to propagate their genes. In the second situation, it says, no, we have to figure out how to come together because we need each other. And it's a spiritual issue, not just a sexual issue. And ultimately, that concludes this, is that my relationships, first and foremost, my relationship with God is a guy, with myself, do I really know who I am and what it means to be a masculine man, with females or the feminine and other people, my children, my friends, my peers, all of these things are significant. So what that does is the second position proves what psychologists have been studying in a nutshell out there, and that is men, your relationships are critically important and have a huge influence on you in your life. And so you have to go back and say, well, then that must mean there is a God. And if there is a God, then I need to figure this out to bring clarity, not confusion, to how I interact and perceive these relationships. Okay? So... Since I, I will give you my bias right off the front, it seems the most rational and logically congruent is I'm a God guy, okay? So that's my bias, but I want to show you why that is a little bit and allow me to build this case. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to bounce around in the Bible a little bit today. Uh, we're kind of looking at it from like a, you know, high altitude, big picture, okay? And I want to go to the first chapter of the first book. And that's the book of Genesis. And kind of talk about why men should perceive their relationships from that they have objective moral and do objective morals and objective duties about them. Okay. Number one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, the first thing I want to do before we move on is I want to point something that's really unique, because if you go into verse um, 3, you see as God is creating the heavens and the earth, he's quoting these, there's quotes from God. Moses is writing this down. And he says in verse 3, he says, God said. And he uses the singular plural for God. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 14, and God said. Verse 20, and God said. Verse 24, and God said. Every single one of those situations, he quotes the singular plural for the name of God, right? And then in verse 26, he does something really weird. He uses the what? Plural. He says, God, let us, so he's quoting God, let us make mankind in our image. Isn't that interesting? This, a lot of scholars say, this is the first reference in the Bible to the Trinity, all right? To the, the three in one. God is one in three persons, okay? And so what's really interesting is he goes on to say in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, if Moses is quoting God in the plural, then what he's saying is that we are created, masculine and feminine, as relational beings. That's one of the things that, that the image of God within us is that we are designed and built to be in community or in a relationship. And in this particular case, he ends up in chapter two going deeper about how males and females are meant to be in a covenantal relationship with each other called marriage, right? But I just want to go in here, verse 28. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply or be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky over every living creature moves upon the ground. So what you see here in this ancient literature is a statement of purpose and responsibility. So you have a purpose as a man or a woman in this world. So let me just recap what he's kind of laying out here. Number one, we are created in the image of God, means that there's a relational spiritual component about us. Number two, there is a difference between the masculine and the feminine, all right? And they are both equally valuable in the eyes of God, part of his image. Number three, together we are... Together, male and female, we are meant to rule over, be responsible for, for the whole earth. So we have a responsibility to do that. So, you know, trashing the earth and, you know, is not a good thing because it's part of our responsibility. We have a duty to it. Uh, number, the next one, four, be fruitful and multiply. So this is my pitch as a pastor is that God loves a family with a full quiver. Thank you, Botsford. Appreciate that. Number, the last one is this, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so there's, that's, a, that's a fascinating statement, right? Fill the earth and then subdue it. This is a side note for all of you people who like to study philosophy and things like that. But there's been a, a man who's been really discredited uh, over and over again who constantly writes about how the population of the world needs to be limited, okay? And that we need to get rid of humans, and this is an exact contradiction to what God says that we're supposed to fill the earth. Okay. I was listening to one guy. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll just throw it out for you to chew on, think about, you make up your own mind. But he said right now, based on our farming techniques, we have the landmass and the capacity to support a population on the globe of over 40 billion people. Ah, man, that's a lot of people. It's pretty amazing to me. So let's take what he just said there and then kind of bring it out. So that was our original intent. But guess what happened? We, males and females, if you read chapter three, we invited evil into this world. And this has corrupted all of our relationships. First of all, it corrupted our relationship with God, right? It, 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 it severed that relationship with God. And Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. Number two, it severed the male-female relationship. It really made it a problem. And you see in chapter three, he actually curses males and curses females. And they have different issues. And this is one of the reasons why it's so hard for them to relate to each other. Okay. We, we, it's cursed our relationship with the earth, you know? I mean, when someone comes to me and says, you know, Pastor, why did that, you know, hurricane hit southern Florida and knock out all those, those things and those people died and drowned? I go, well, thank Adam for that one. Because the Bible specifically says it's their fault. Paul addresses this issue in Romans chapter 5. He says, through the sin of one man, evil entered into the world. That's what it says. And that's why Christ is so important to followers of him to Christianity, because he goes on to say, Matthew chapter five, it's through one man that redemption enters into the world, Jesus Christ. See? So we, we now have, because sin's in the world, our relationships with God, with ourselves, with one another, with the earth, and even our purpose in life. You know, guys, when you're struggling with, well, what am I supposed to do? And where do I fit? And is living this life worth it? It's, it's a result of this original curse way back there that confuses you about this. When you say, I don't understand women, it's Adam's fault. <laughs> Just blame him. Now, there's a guy by the name of John Eldridge who wrote a book called Wild at Heart. And what it is, is an interesting book, is that it just starts describing why men are asking these questions. And his point is this, is because you've been given a masculine heart. In this book, Wild at Heart, he says, there's, there, there's something about your soul as a man. And there's three drives within you that come from this Genesis chapter one. And that is this. Number one is you're called to live an adventure. You're, good, you're supposed to go out into the world and subdue it. Now, to a guy, that's an adventure. This is why boys grow up. You know, they want to be astronauts and athletes. And they want, you know, they're always playing cops and robbers. They always want to be pirates. They always want to be, you know, whatever kind of a thing. The other thing it says is you are designed to win a battle. 
is that there is a battle and your soul is designed to fight it and win it. And then finally he says this, there's a beauty to rescue, right? In other words, you're living your life for a purpose other than yourself and it has a lot to do with the feminine. But then what what happened is evil came into this world and it taints your heart's desires. So all of these drives, all of these appetites of your soul can be perverted by the world and used against you. Okay? And due to this influence of the taint, we focus on the externals of masculinity and the feminine, whereas masculine and feminine are predominantly spiritual qualities. They're internal qualities. And this is why our relationships as men can be so confusing. Now, one of the things I, I like to do is I like to use illustrations to try to figure this out and just kind of communicate what it looks like a little bit. And as with all illustrations, they do really, really well when you stand back and they give you an, oh, I've never really looked at it this way before and it might help you, okay? But what you have to do is you have to realize in your own life, and I say this all the time, is that we're here to help you figure out how to think so that your faith grows. So then you got to take it down to your situation and apply it, right? But I want to give you this basic reference, and this is called the masculine-feminine continuum, okay? And in the masculine-feminine continuum, it's going to pop up here in just a second. Oops, that didn't work. I've, had, I've got a, uh, let's see if I can figure that out. All right. Okay, where's my masculine continuum, guys? There we go. Now I have to set this thing just right here. Okay. So this is a picture of a guy, right? Now on, externally, he looks very masculine, right? I mean, look at that. You know, he's kind of ripped. I bet he has a six-pack ab and he has a really big beard, you know? So he's looking, he's looking masculine. He looks like a lumberjack, okay? All right. And then over here, but I think it's perfect because notice how he's a little off kilter there. I don't know. I just, that just seems poetic to me. So then we have, we have the feminine right here, okay? All right, here's a gal, very feminine, long hair, you know, the sun shining behind her, perfect lighting and all that kind of stuff, and uh, Photoshopped perfect skin. Um, so that always works that way, doesn't it? Now, what I want to do is I want to kind of get away from this just a little bit so that you can see it. And what, what we have to understand is that this is a continuum, right? So way over here, we have the feminine, right? Now, what exactly is the feminine? Now, the world focuses purely on the outside, right? And I think women feel a tremendous amount of pressure to have a external image of femininity. And that is, is that they have to have the perfect dress size. They have to have the perfect length of hair. They have to have the perfect skin. They have to have all of these things. And the problem is when you focus on the outside, this is uh, Peter, the apostle wrote to all the church. He says, ladies, don't focus on your external because your external beauty does what? It fades, you know? And, and this is what's really odd is when you focus only on the um, external is that what age do all men across the board say women are their most attractive? What age popped into your head, ladies? Well, research says it's 22, yeah, is that crazy or what? You know, that's crazy. But that's when you focus only on the external, right? That's what the world does, focus only on the external, all right? Because the, the world just sexualizes the relationship between males and females. And so Peter goes on to say, oh, that fades, you know, beginning at 22 and a half. And, <laughs> but real feminine is what? It's the inner qualities of the heart. See, so he's trying to pull everybody back. Remember, your feminine is spiritual in nature, right? Okay, now what does that mean? Well, it's, it's about the beauty of life. It's about bonding. The Hebrew word in Genesis chapter 1 there, verse 27, male and female, he created them. The Hebrew word for female is nekabah. And you know what that word actually means? To be pierced. That's the actual meaning of that word. It means, uh, it's used in time to say the sheath of a sword. That's the imagery that it uses. And the point is, is that the feminine has a component of reception to it. It receives into itself. What's really fascinating is for the feminine is that your very existence is what inspires the masculine. 
Your very existence uh, affirms and encourages and acknowledges the masculine. This is why oftentimes women say, it drives me crazy because my husband won't ever initiate anything. You see, she said, I don't have anything to work with. <laughs> you know, it's like, give me something to work with. But the problem is, is that drive has been tainted, ladies. Now, this isn't a message for the ladies at all, but just a little factual thing out there. And that is, is that that, that reception, that spiritual to be pierced can be tainted. And that taint forces controlling behavior, manipulative behavior, a withholding of approval, criticizing the men, the masculine in their life, never satisfied with what they have. It's never enough. They're insecure. Okay. Now the masculine on the other side of the continuum, clear over here, has to do with uh, piercing because the word for male in the Hebrew is zakar, and it means to pierce. So it means not, it's not like a pull, but it's actually like a, a knife or a sword, right? And it's designed to pierce into. So the primary sense that scholars have pulled out of this is that the masculine heart wants to protect. So the masculine reflects the physical qualities. When a, uh, you know, all fetuses, throw a little biology at you right here, all fetuses start out what? Female. And then at about four to five weeks, what happens? That little uh, Y chromosome has the female body. So the female has received. And then the female body takes the Y chromosome from the male sperm and says, oh, it's supposed to be a boy. Floods it with what? Testosterone. And in that moment, that fetus becomes a boy. Right? The tubes right? Start to come down. The labia comes out and forms the scrotum. People are like, I'm getting biology, man. Church, what's up with that? But this is very important to understand because we're, we're, we're trying to understand what God is trying to teach us about relationships. And so, so what happens is for boys, and then when, when, you know, boys and girls physically are pretty close up to about 11 or 12 years old, right? You get those girls out there and those boys out there at 10 and they run a foot race, what? They're all in a pack. They're all equal. You know, you get them, but then something happens. It's called puberty, right? And in that moment, guess what? Boys are flooded with testosterone all over again. And in that process, their bones become denser. Their muscle mass is so much more denser. All of these things kind of start to happen to fit their physiology as they are growing. And what happens in that thing is they start to grow up here. And so they, their drive of their soul is to protect and to provide. Okay? To protect, to provide. And the, the hard part about this is that the taint, right, if it turns a man to where he only wants to protect and provide for himself, he never becomes a masculine man. See, it has to be directed something. Now, I'm going to use attraction between males and females to illustrate this point. And that is, is that, do you know how attraction works? Okay. So you, everybody's somewhere on this continuum, right? So if this guy right here, he's like, oh, I got a beard, big muscles and everything, and I think I'm, I'm all it, right? Okay, so what you have to notice is that attraction between males and females is this. And that is, you have a center point right here, right? And so attraction works like this, and that is, is that the gap here, oh, see, I got to put this one too far over. The gap here between her and the center point has to match the gap from the center point to him. Think about that for a moment. That's how attraction works right there. Where else do you see this in the real world? With magnets, right? You have a magnet and on each side of the magnet, one side of the magnet is positive. The other side of the magnet is what? Negative. So if you put the two positives to each other, what do they do? They repel. If you flip one of the magnets around, the positive and the negative, what do they do? Right? Every single, it's called polarity. 
All right. So attraction works in polarity, right? So you meet somebody like this. Well, you're saying, well, you know, I grew up and I was just, I wasn't sporty. I wasn't doing all this stuff. Da, da, da. You know what I'm saying is that so what happens is you go there. These people will tend to be more attracted to each other. See, the issue is the the gap. Now, as I said, we're, this is a 30,000 foot thing, you know, it's, it's, as it works down out, it breaks down a little bit, but that's not the point. The point is, is that I want to illustrate this. And that is, is guys, if you're here, right. And you meet a girl right there, or let's do this. Let's put them just a titch further apart. You meet a girl like this, you fall in love and you get married, right. And for whatever reason, she's not happy, Right. For whatever reason, she's dissatisfied, okay? Now what happens when you do this, give me the front shot, what happens is whenever the feminine is unhappy, dissatisfied, discontent, what does the feminine tend to do? Not always, but almost, gen almost all the time, the feminine always becomes more masculine. And when that happens you have what is commonly called an imbalance. Relationships do not like imbalance. Okay. So now the guy has a couple of choices, right? Now, if all he cares about and he sees the attraction of feminine masculine as an external thing, he's going to say, my wife's not happy. I better go to the gym and buff up and grow a bigger beard. And we look at that and go, well, that's just ridiculous, right? Because we all know deep in our souls that this, is, this isn't a surface thing. It's about our soul, right? It's about something deeper. So now the guy has an option, right? And this is what guys do is guys tend to want peace in their families. So not all the time, but generally, what do guys do when mom is not happy? Which direction do they move? You got it. It's not rocket science here, people. There you go. He moves this way. All right. But what he doesn't realize and she doesn't realize is that this creates more instability, because if you start moving this way over the course of five years, 10 years, 15 years, you can end up like this. And that is not God's design. So why does this happen? You know, on rare occasions, this is, I, I've seen this numerous times. This is kind of anecdotal here. I've seen this numerous times. This guy is here, right? And he goes, okay, all right, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, yeah, sure. Hey, let's just be at peace. Yeah, okay. I've had enough. And she's like, what's your problem? Why are you so angry? You know, see, th this is this, now why, why do guys move back and forth on the line? This is where I drop a nuclear bomb on you right here. It's because men, you're insecure. The number one thing that undermines any relationships is insecurity, whether you're a female or a male. When you, when you read the book of Exodus, what you do is you quickly, right after the book of Genesis, you quickly discover how the Israelites were just a bunch of insecure, needy, whiny people, right? Moses leads them out of captivity, and they're that way because they were enculturated to be that way as slaves. And so... It takes God 42 years to do what? 42 years to teach them how to be what? Men again. And Joshua, who is leading the campaign to retake all of the land that was taken from them, he stands up in Joshua chapter 1, and he says, We are now, after, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, the aid of Moses. He says, Moses is now dead. I want you to do what I've called you to do. Okay, And what does he then say? If you look at verses um, 7, 
What does God say? Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you? God is talking to men. He's not saying this is an option. It's a good idea. He's saying this is a command of God. Be strong right? And courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. Insecurity in a man breeds anger or depression. Insecurity in a man brings, breeds a lack of self-confidence. Insecurity in a man breeds apathy. He just quits caring. Insecurity is the seedbed of cowardice, and insecurity is a gravity well. You know, in physics, when you have a black hole, you know what the gravity well is? It's like this big funnel, and that is a gravity well. Is a, the, the, the gravity is so powerful, it doesn't matter what gets close to it, you'll never escape it, you know? That's why in Star Trek, they have to jettison, you know, the warp core just to get away right? Because gravity is so powerful. Well, guess what? Insecurity is a gravity well of passivity. There's nothing that will suck the life out of you as a man, out of your soul, more than passivity. So I just want to leave you with a couple things to consider, okay? Number one, no matter what you think is good, if you're moving either this way or this way under the, impre under the pressure of somebody's expectations on you, guess what? That creates dissatisfaction in your life as a guy. It is the movement in any direction on that line due to pressure from somebody else that creates dissatisfaction in your life. Because even as a guy, if it's the right direction, guess what? You resent it. And that's why relationships are so confusing. It's like, man, I know my wife is good for me, but she pushes me to do stuff that I don't like, and I resent it. Why? Well, the reason why is because <clears throat> you're allowing her to dictate your masculinity. And God didn't design it that way. Number two, if you want to become a more secure man and discover answers to why your relationships are so confusing, you have to be around other men who are not perfect but are pursuing masculinity. Because I can guarantee you this, is that your society that you live in right now wants this. All across the board. And what I hear women across the board asking is this. That's what I want. Because as soon as that happens, then I can start living the way God designed me to live. And I'll tell you what, I hear women tell me that I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm everything. You know, I do outrage. You know, he's just like, well, the more that happens, the more that allows happens. And so you start to understand clarity. But ladies, you have to give guys a break. You know why that they're not doing that? Because all your peers and friends in your society have denigrated that for so long. They're afraid of offending you in the process. Not all men are seeking to go in the right direction. This is happening more and more, and that is, is that more and more guys are moving in this direction in a what I call a Neanderthal masculinity. They're getting out here and they're pushing in directions they shouldn't go. That's unhealthy because what it does, it says, this is the only answer. I don't need that. I just want to use that. And that's, that's just is bad. You see, what, what we have to do is you have to be around men who understand biblical masculinity. That's why I always say you cannot grow into a man apart from other men who know God and are following God. It just don't, doesn't work. It never ends up well.
So you have to be around men. We, we do this thing called the principle of the five. And our, and our men's, one of the things that our men's uh, uh, ministry here does is that we don't have all these events. We're not trying to get guys to go to events. We're trying to get guys into discipling relationships. That's what we do. And we have almost 100 guys now being discipled in small groups. And the reason why is because we have men who know God practice the principle of the five. The principle of five is very simple, and that is you come up with a list of five guys on a card or a note or something in your phone, doesn't matter. Five guys where you say, my goal is to try and help those men take one step closer to their God-given masculinity. If they, if they want to be discipled, I'll disciple them. If, they, if they, I just want to call and pray for them every once a month, that's what I'll do. I just have five guys that I care about. And you wouldn't believe the amount of men out there who respond when another man who's a little further down the path calls them and says, hey, I care about the man you're becoming. So guys, take some time to ask yourself some real tough questions. Today, I just wanted you to have a framework to think about what's going on in your life and why this is so confusing. I can't give you all the answers today. If you really want to dig a lot deeper, listen to the Salty Pastor episodes this past week because we go a lot deeper. But ask yourself some serious questions to yourself when you're out on your own. Where am I being passive instead of intentional? How am I developing masculine qualities? Do I really understand what real masculine character is in a man? And the more you ask those questions, the more you're going to find answers that will transform your life. So let's stand for closing prayer. On your way out, don't forget service tables out there to serve and boot camp for the guys is coming up. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for helping us find answers to deep-seated questions of our soul. May we discover the truth of who you are, what you want to do in our lives. Amen. God bless you and have a really great Sunday. Good morning and thank you guys for joining us um, for after-service discussion questions. This is something that we love doing because I love hearing from folks who come in, Justin and Emma. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, but I also love hearing from you guys. I see some comments in YouTube already. Uh, if I'm looking at my phone, it's because I'm looking forward to what you guys are saying. Um, it's not me just being rude to these guys. Um, I have multiple reasons to do that. Um, but today we're working off week two of Desperado. It's really a men's focused uh, group, but anybody, or I guess service, but anybody who's listening, it's definitely notes to take for what you're looking for, whether you're trying to be your man or look for a man. Um, so right now, we're going to kick off these questions. Uh, Justin, if you guys want to read these questions or be ahead of the curve on this, it's on your Foothills app. You can just scroll down or it will also be on the screen as we go through them. So I'm going to kick the first one off to Justin. That makes sense. There's a man is in the room here joining us. So, Justin, please give us the kickoff on the answer to question one. Why are relationships so important for the masculine soul? Yeah. Well, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron yeah. as we sharpen one another. Uh, Emma's dad, Wade, is a blacksmith. So this is perfect. Yeah. And uh, as a blacksmith... You heat that metal up super hot, yep. and then you smack it with a mallet on the handle. Get the crud out of it, right? And, and the important thing that you can't leave out is heating it up, right? Because not only is that iron getting pounded and sharpening itself, yeah. but the heat puts pressure on that piece of metal to change. Yes. It's the heat that allows that metal to change. Yeah. And so we as Christian brothers, we need to sharpen one another. We need a relationship with one another in order to sharpen each other. And that heat can come in the form of accountability. Right. Um, and holding each other to the standard that God has for us as Christian men. And, and it's such a wonderful analogy because to me when I hear, I've, I've, believe it or not, I've actually done a little bit of forging. I forged two knives. <laughs> dabbled, Both dabbled. Both very little. Um, <laughs> because I just don't have the, anyway, yeah, there's a lot sure. to it. You're, I'm sure you're going. But the deal is with the heat that I appreciate is because this analogy can go on forever. Mm -hmm. You actually have to, sometimes you have to, a lot of times you have to separate the metal and heat it up. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's on its own. Sometimes you have to find the fire in yourself through Jesus and, and bring it to the other metal, right? Mm -hmm. and, the, and it's not about, because when you sharpen cheap knives, you shave parts off of it. But part of the deal of creating a good knife is that you compress it, 
not remove parts, right? So that compression and that pressure is a whole nother analogy of that iron sharpens iron that you need to be around good people who are trying to direct you in the right way. Because I did it so wrong the first time I tried to make a knife that the guy was sitting next to me just literally took over. Like just kind of, <laughs> you are ruining this and took over. And that's okay. That, I, I took that as positive. Like that's a direction that I can learn how to do. So what a great analogy on why relationships are so important to the masculine soul. Emma, do you have anything to add to that? It's a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, again, it's just the same thing. It's that um, analogy of just, like you said, being around those good people yeah. just need help um, will just help strengthen that. Because um, I've noticed in my life with um, the men in my life that I have had relationships with, it's when they have... Um, those other guys around that are helping them. You can just see that change in yeah. them and that they are just growing more and that they are having that help Absolutely. with their soul. Absolutely. No, it's, and that's, that's a wonderful <clears throat> perspective to have because as men, we iron, like the iron sharpens iron makes sense to us, but to be a participant or a, even a spectator of men who do that is, an, is a part of the, it's a part of the equation that, I mean, I've always had this analogy that men are generally, um, trying or at least should uh, try to be thermostats, which is where you walk into the room and you should be able to change the temperature. You're a leader, right? Generally speaking. Not everybody's really good at this and it's a talent, right? But for some reason, married men, I've been married for, long, for 15 years, I'm not a thermostat sometimes when it comes to my wife, right? And so that re relationship I have with my wife, I need, to, I need to be able to change the temperature, not just be a thermometer and change to the temperature. Mm -hmm. Right, so like that's the sort of stuff from a participant standpoint. That's, that's a lot. We could probably go on the whole time with that one question, but we'll go back to Justin. We're going to do this weird. Usually we bounce the questions back and forth, but since we got a man in the room, we're going to throw it to Justin to kick off every one of them. All right, question two, and I'll review the uh, chat as well for this one. What are the true qualities of a masculine soul? Well, obviously God calls us to be leaders, mm -hmm. and whether it's in our families or in among, amongst our peers. Yeah. Um, and in order to be a leader, you've got to have qualities of strength. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a quote from a psychologist named Jordan Peterson. Our society has pushed men so much further the other way to be these meek, quiet, you know, um, pacifist yeah. beings. But really what he says, he says, men should be monsters but learn how to control it. Absolutely. And if you're going to be someone who can protect your family, who can lead your family and guide your family, you can't be on the sidelines sitting and waiting for something to come to you. Yeah. You have to be strong and you have to have the ability to do so, but uh, you also have to control yourself. You have to have self-control. And especially when it comes to having kids, you know. Oh my goodness, yeah. Little kids, <laughs> the phase of life I'm in, yeah. takes a lot of self-control not to snap on your kids and oh, yell yeah. at them and use that um, you know, righteous anger that you have inside of you, even when your kid has done something wrong, you know, it's not your place to scream hellfire at them <laughs> for stealing a piece of candy, you know what I mean? Like, no. you have to have the self-control to control that, yeah. that passion and that strength and aggression. So, um, having the ability to, like I said in that quote, be, be a monster, but control yeah. it. Have self-control, like the Bible calls us to have, to have, have patience, like the Bible calls us to yeah. have. Um, and be able to be peaceful um, and maintain the peace so you yeah. don't have to go to that, pull from that anger and strength and aggression. So. Absolutely. And I, I think there, there's one, that Jordan Peterson goes on about that a lot, and he, that's one of his main points is that men need to be men again, right? And that's, and what an awesome analogy that, uh, that um, Doug talked about where he kind of had that, pol that polarity line and recognizing what men can be, should be, could be. And, and the fact is, the process of the world is trying to push us as far away from that masculine as possible. And there's positive and negative in every direction we go. But what I really like about what you're saying when it comes to the quality of a masculine soul is that at the beginning you brought up leadership, right? Leadership is not passive. And so the, the, the part that people don't recognize about men in leadership, and leadership in general a lot of times, is that you are taking the first step. And a lot of those first step decisions are the scariest because they're the loneliest. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the depression we see in men these days is because if they choose to lead, that means that you're, the leader stands alone for a moment. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so that's the fear, right? Especially in a marriage, if you're trying to lead children, lead your family, if you're trying to lead, a, if you, it, and it gets bigger and bigger. If, even if you're in your work and you're trying to lead a change in the society you have at work, mm-hmm. that first step is a lonely step. And well, and you're open to step. criticism too. Yeah, when you're a leader and you choose to lead, you have to be strong and you have to possess these qualities yeah. of a masculine soul because you'll get eaten alive if you don't have the thick enough skin yeah to withstand the criticism criticism that comes against you from being the leader and making those decisions. Because sometimes as leaders and as men in our families, we make the decision and we're not always right. And we make the decision sometimes maybe it it is right, but maybe people don't agree with us. And that comes down on us. So you've got to have that strength and resilience to know, to be grounded and rooted in the word of God and and rooted in truth of the word to know I, I'm the leader. I made this decision. You might not like it. You might yeah. criticize my decision, but this is my decision. And as the leader of my family, my workplace, whatever it is, I have to be confident in my yeah. choice. But so. that, and that confidence doesn't come from arrogance. No, and that's the that's the part that I think the world bites onto, right? Because mm-hmm. the arrogance would have a negative outcome, right? Yeah. That's why you have to be somehow humble and confident as you lead. And that's why when things come up, and I mean, again, from maybe from the participant standpoint or or the witness's standpoint, those situations where a man is confident but arrogant, that makes, that's gotta be hard for you to follow, but a confident but humble person is a good leader. Mm-hmm. So like, is there, from a participant's standpoint, what would you say about that? I think for me, it's one of those things that I see, it's just knowing that difference of either being that passive, very passive aggressive, or being like on either spectrum where you're just so passive, but then you just have this full, like arrogant, toxic masculinity. And I think it's trying to see and trying to know that there is a balance in between and that there is a sweet spot in that middle Mm -hmm. where you have that um, strength and ability to lead, but then you also know that you also can't do this alone. Like Mm -hmm. God needs to be the center of it and that he is the one who is guiding you on that journey. Yeah, and I think Doug did a great job at closing on that subject. And it actually rolls right into the third question, which is, what are the most important things men can pursue that overcome insecurities in their relationships is God. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is, I mean, any, any relationship, even if it's your relationship with yourself and how you're trying to seek it out, I genuinely, I tried for years, I genuinely do not understand how a person can get on with life without God. Get on with a relationship with your wife, relationship with your kids, coworkers, whatever relationship you have, it is destined for failure without God. Relationship with yourself, especially as a man, we take that lonely, confident, but hopefully humble, because maybe, I, I always kind of back off on the word toxic when it comes to masculinity, because it's like a, it's a subjective, uh, like internet term, I guess is what I'd say. Catchphrase. But the the humble pulls it away from that toxic. Yeah. The arrogance mm-hmm. is where that toxicity mm-hmm. is, right? So it's not about the masculinity that's mm-hmm. toxic. It's the reason you're masculine. Are you humble mm-hmm. and masculine? Mm-hmm. Are you a God-fearing, seeking person who recognizes that you're the leader of your house, but you're not the leader, mm-hmm. right? Or are you that arrogant, toxic type, right? That arrogance is the toxic part. So if when I answer this question, the more, most important thing is, are you connected? Are you, and not just to God by yourself, because there's those kind of men. That's like a manly thing to do, right? I get on my kayak or I go hunting, and that's where I find God. It's like, you can't, you can't do that alone. Mm-hmm. You have to be connected to God and a good community of people that can show you how to do it right and be iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of good statements. I'll toss this out really quick, and then we'll wrap up. Um, we got Cammie, as always. Good morning, Cammie. Uh, gentleness has to be a quality of a masculine man or he becomes toxic, so that maybe rolls into that. Mm-hmm. Um, strength is not is not always forceful. Strength mm-hmm. to take the first step as a leader is not a by force. It is often a by hope. <laughs> Sometimes it's, but you, as a leader, you take that lonely step. A true man offers his strength in tenderness or understanding to those less strength or, and seek guidance, assuredness, and love as Jesus would. What a mm-hmm. great closing. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Karen, for throwing that out there. And thank you for joining us for the second week of Desperado, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.